You're going to love this. Just love it. Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. This is the best of the Bradcast. I'm Bradcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off today and we'll be back tomorrow. But in the meantime, we're highlighting two recent interviews that expose the impacts of Trump's border wall on the people and the wildlife that actually live there and what the recent compromise bill to avoid a government shutdown and Trump's declaration of a national emergency to build the wall anyway will mean for all of them going forward. Coming up, Brad's conversation with Mariana Trevino-Wright, the executive director of the National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas, where the Trump administration has already moved in heavy equipment in preparation to bulldoze the beloved and crucial wildlife bird and butterfly sanctuary. Plus, we'll have an update to this story, so be sure to stay tuned. But first, Brad's recent interview with attorney Ricky Garza of the Texas Civil Rights Project in the Rio Grande Valley. He's helping Americans on the Texas-Mexico border trying to hold the line against Donald Trump's border wall land grab. So please enjoy this best of the broadcast. This land is your land and this land is my land from the California to the New York Island from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters this land was made for you and me that's what you'd think. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As President Donald Trump traveled to the border in Texas on Thursday to make the case for his $5.7 billion border wall, landowner Eloisa Cavazos says she knows firsthand how the project will play out if the White House gets its way. The federal government has already started surveying land along the border in Texas and announced plans to start construction next month. Rather than surrender their land, some property owners are digging in, vowing to reject buyout offers and preparing to fight the administration in court. Cavazzo says you could give me a trillion dollars and I wouldn't take it. The river separates the U.S. and Mexico in Texas. Her property sits along that river, the Rio Grande. She says it's not about money. To us, this is heaven. The Cavazos family's roughly 64 acres were purchased by their grandmother 60 years ago. They rent some of the property to tenants who have built small houses or brought in trailers. They charge some as little as $1,000 a year. They live off the earnings from the land, and they worry that a fence would deter renters and turn their property into a no-man's land. On the rest of the property are plywood barns, enclosures for cattle and goats, and a wooden deck that extends into the river, which flows serenely east toward the Gulf of Mexico. Eloise's brother, Fred, can sit in his wheelchair and fish off the wooden deck that extends into the river. 
In March of last year, Congress funded 33 miles of walls and fencing in Texas. The government has laid out plans that would cut across private land in the Rio Grande Valley. Private land. Those in the way include landowners who have lived in the valley for generations, as well as environmental groups and a 19th century chapel. The AP reports that the opposition will intensify if Democrats accede to the, de to the Trump administration's demand to build more than 215 new miles of wall, including 104 miles in the Rio Grande Valley. Nada Alvarez wants nothing to do with any such border wall, but her acre of land in Rio Grande City, Texas, where she lives in a brown house along the dividing line between the U.S. and uh, between the U.S. and Mexico, has become of great interest to the U.S. government, according to The Washington Post. She, along with dozens of other landowners in the Rio Grande Valley, received surprise letters from the federal government in recent months. Requests from officials who are seeking access to their properties right now for surveys, soil tests, equipment storage and other action. It is, according to lawyers and experts, the first step in the government trying to seize private property using the power of eminent domain to build hundreds of miles of wall, some of which passes through land like Alvarez's. She's a 47-year-old high school teacher, and she refuses to sign over access to her property for the surveys. Uh, her property was handed down from her grandfather. She says, I'm against the wall because I'm going to get evicted by it. The letters are the first of a two-step process that the government uses in cases of eminent domain. It first requests surveys of the land. Uh, which landowners often agree to. And then if the land is suitable for the government's intended use, it moves to take the land, either by convincing the owners to sell or turn to the uh, courts to force the sale. The government sued the local Roman Catholic diocese last year to gain access for its surveyors at the site of La Lomita Chapel, a small 150-year-old church where mass, weddings, and funerals are held in a Palm Sunday procession takes place each year, drawing some 2,000 people. The church, which opened in 1865, was an important site for missionaries who traveled the Rio Grande Valley by horseback. It remains an epicenter of the Rio Grande Valley's Catholic community. It's a short distance from the Rio Grande River. It falls directly into the area where Customs and Border Protection want to build an enforcement zone, a 150-feet area in front of any new wall construction for access roads and cameras and lighting, etc. The diocese says it opposes a border wall because the barrier violates Catholic teachings and the church's responsibility to protect migrants. Taking the land to build a wall, said Mary McCord, a visiting professor at Georgetown Law and, for, and a former Justice Department official now working on the Catholic diocese case, substantially burdens the exercise of religion, and the government has not articulated a compelling reason it needs to build a wall there. A person cannot be compelled, McCord said, to participate in something that violates their firmly held religious beliefs. That's something the... Trump administration and Republicans have pretended to care about in recent years, at least when it meant gutting sections of President Obama's Affordable Care Act. But the letters being sent to private property owners are the first of this two-step process. 
And the Texas Civil Rights Project is now trying to let people know that they are not required to respond to these letters. They are not required to sign over access to their land. They're going door to door in some neighbors uh, neighborhoods, letting people know their rights. And they are running digital ads and spots on local radio. If you don't have a lawyer, you're just going to get railroaded, said Efren Olivares of the Texas Civil Rights Project in the Washington Post story. We're trying to make sure this isn't going to happen. Legal experts say Trump likely cannot even waive eminent domain, which requires the government to demonstrate a public use for the land, even if he declares a national emergency, as he has threatened to do. In other words, even if he declares a national emergency and wins the inevitable court cases over whether he's allowed to use such a declaration to divert money from the uh, from U.S. military defense spending in order to build his wall, even then the government would still be facing dozens, if not hundreds, of challenges from landowners whose property would be confiscated for use on Trump's wall project. Without that national emergency declaration, the government is already facing challenges from many landowners for the walling and fencing that has already been approved by Congress and the president. In other words, it could be argued that what Donald Trump describes as a crisis at the border is actually already a legal crisis for many longtime American citizens living along the border who did not ask for this fight. Joining us now for more on this is Ricky Garza, staff attorney in the Rio Grande Valley for the Texas Civil Rights Project, a nonprofit legal organization and one of the most influential civil rights organizations in the state. Mr. Garza, thank you for joining us on the broadcast. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Uh, how many uh, people or property owners are we talking about in the Rio Grande Valley who, here who are currently affected by these uh, by these letters, by this, uh, these threats from the government, even before uh, uh, Trump somehow muscles through his $5 billion for a wall? So what we know right now is that hundreds of um, letters have already gone out to landowners across the Rio Grande Valley. And really, just from that introductory description that you just gave, um, the... The breadth of landowners that, that live and, 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 and work and recreate and, and have grown up in, in the Rio Grande Valley is really just um, shown by the, um, the, the diversity of people who own property right, right on the river. Like you mentioned, we have a historic Catholic church that's over 150 years old. You have agricultural landowners, and you have people who are just homesteaders, small, low-income families who live along the border and make their home in, in the neighborhoods that... Um, that really are connected to, to Mexico and to the United States. And really, the, the Rio Grande Valley is a diverse region of over a million people that lives and dies by the water that comes from the river. We're a binational, bicultural community. And um, the people who, who live here, I think, understand the realities that you can't just build a wall along the international border and expect everything to um, right next to it to be unaffected. You, the, the actual boundary between the United States and Mexico lies within the river itself. And, of course, there's no proposal to build anything um, inside the, the, the river itself and in the water. So um, what the government has resorted to is um, using its eminent domain power given to it by the Constitution to, um, to take people's land. And it may not be the case in the rest of the Southwest, but here in Texas, the majority of um, land uh, along the border is privately held. So... Um, in order to to build any wall, 
they would have to go through private landowners first, and that's exactly what we're seeing with our clients. And I, I think, because a lot of people, I, I, I don't th- think, understand this. We're talking about uh, where the Rio Grande uh, cuts across uh, the border. The border runs, as you said, uh, sort of right through the middle of the river. So there's basically two choices if you want to build a wall. You either have to build it on the Mexican side, which they're probably not going to want to, uh, <laughs> not going to be in favor of, or you build it on the American side, which means... You're cutting off all of these people. You're cutting off their yes. access from the river, correct? From the river itself. Yes, that, that's that's right. And we have one client who um, tells us that she learned to fish and to swim and grew up going to to their property along the river, and we're able to just swim in it freely. And I think the the contrary to any um, assertion of a crisis by the president, the only crisis that exists now is um, is artificially created by this administration and. To be sure, this is not the first administration we've seen tried to seize um, land along the border. Right now, there is border fencing that has already been been built um, along the river. Some of it has already um, there is some money that's already been appropriated, and and, and lands are sought to be to be seized um, right now. So, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens with the shutdown fight and with Trump's demands, um, there is already over a billion dollars appropriated. Um, for more border wall construction than we already have now. And that is, is something that already the, the local community knows is, is not going to, um, to, make any, to make any real difference or solve any, to solve any perceived problem. And yet the, uh, the, the government continues its uh, path of destruction in, in, in my home. The uh, you mentioned uh, Trump's claim that there is a crisis here. Is there any sense in the Rio Grande Valley at all that such a crisis actually does exist? After all, these are people Trump is telling us that there are violent people, crimes, drugs, everything else coming across the border. You would think that the people who actually live on the border would be the first ones affected by that. Is there any sense at all that there is actually a crisis or uh, I guess, and or is there something that the, the, uh, the folks in the Rio Grande might want to improve uh, border security, but not a wall? You know, I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley. I was I was born and raised in McAllen, and the only time I heard any talk about a crisis along the border was when I turned on cable news and CNN <laughs> and Fox. And um, you see the uh, the artificially created crisis that that comes from Washington every few years. Unfortunately. Um, for border residents, this is just the latest example of Washington coming down and um, looking at the border and saying that we need um, something that the local community doesn't want. Polling consistently shows that an overwhelming majority of people who actually live and work on the border oppose um, a border wall and, and, and oppose militarization of our communities. And what what we're seeing on, on the ground is that people are having their lives interrupted by this uh, in, intrusion onto the, the, into the borderlands um, by, by the federal government and um, by border militarization. We've seen um, a decrease in apprehensions along the border, yet an increase in border patrol hiring and staffing and construction of things like the border wall and um, erection of things like uh, security towers along the areas close to the river and Aerostat blimps that were formerly used in Iraq um, now deployed in um, some neighborhoods in the Rio Grande Valley to um, surveil the the border and um, in, implicitly all of us. So I think that you know the the only crisis is 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 coming from the uh, the administration's response itself, and it's just a 
uh, another sad example of um, the federal government failing to understand the realities of, of life on the border and um, what it's really like for, for us just trying to live our lives um, in peace. We, the, uh, the Washington Post notes that your group is going door to door to reach out to property owners to let them know about their mm-hmm. rights. What sort, of, uh, what sort of reception are you getting from those folks? Do, uh, are people who are receiving these letters, do they understand that there is legal help out there to challenge them? Yeah, so I think it's really going to vary based on where where you go, right? Because if you look at um, the the delay of the Rio Grande Valley, um, there's Cameron County, Hidalgo County, and Star County. Those are the three counties, the southernmost counties of the state of Texas, um, that that border the Rio Grande. And in places like Cameron County and Hidalgo County, that's where the larger cities of McAllen and Brownsville are located, a little more urbanized, um, uh, and and not most of the uh, the cities, with the exception of Brownsville. Um, are not actually touching the uh, the international boundary itself. McAllen, for example, is offset by about 10 miles or so. So um, landowners along the actual river tend to be more um, agricultural owners. Mm-hmm. Um, the federal government might own some land outright itself, and the name of something like the, the Fish and Wildlife Service um, or a, uh, a uh, national wildlife refuge like we saw with the Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge, which was actually exempted by um, legislation and the rare example of mm. um, a, a protection given to uh, given to an ecological resource. But if you go further um, west to the the more rural and um, even lower income Star County, you see communities like Roma and Rio Grande City and um, places that are smaller towns, but their central town sites and their concentration of populations are actually very close to the river itself. So there are some um, subdivisions and neighborhoods where uh, a, an entire street's backyards are the river itself. Mm. And um, I, I had the opportunity to go out to, uh, to Roma last summer um, and, and go door-to-door in that, in that community, and I think the reception was, was generally positive, but the, the takeaway is that so many folks just don't know their rights just because the, the, the power of the federal government um, has in a in, in eminent domain is um, wide-reaching. Does that doesn't mean that there aren't consequent due process rights for landowners as well? Um, we we have it in our basic law that um, the government has the right to take private property for public use, but landowners are owed um, their due process as well and are owed um, just compensation. And what we're seeing in in reality is that folks are getting a a letter from the Department of Justice um, asking them to voluntarily turn over their land for surveying purposes and then ultimately turn over their land for condemnation. Um, and if they don't answer that letter, which they are under no obligation to, to do, they'll get a home visit from somebody from either the Department of Justice, the uh, Army Corps of Engineers, and uh, those folks are often accompanied by a Border Patrol agent in a Border Patrol vehicle. That's what we've been told by, by our clients uh, here in the valley, and if you're not somebody extremely familiar with the with your rights, I would be intimidated too. If a yes. border patrol van came up to my came up to my apartment and asked me um, to sign something, so yeah. imagine folks that may not may not speak English, may not understand um, the the full extent of their rights, regardless of something like immigration status. Um, that you know, it could be intimidating. So that's. Where we come in to uh, to to advise folks of their of their rights and to ensure them that the government does have 
great power and eminent domain, but that doesn't mean that landowners can't fight back. And what what are their rights in this case? As I understand it, once the government actually surveys a property and determines that the land fits their need, the it, it's then up to the government, isn't it? Isn't the uh, the only question how much the landowners will actually get for their property? The government will take it no matter what, and then it's uh, a fight in court about how much money they get. In other words, is there any way to actually stop the government if they decide they want a particular piece of land? So it it's, it is it is an interesting question. But what we've seen in in the valley is that. There even you you would think that there are, there are very few defenses and in, and in some sense that that is the case but we've seen things where um, the actual ownership of of land is not fully asserted by the government so in essence they are um, asking for for land to be turned over um, by one person or by a small group of people and when you actually go back to the land records those people may not fully own the land and um, the government is under an obligation to fully advise all um, people with an interest in in the land um, in in order to actually take that land. So Mm -hmm. um, to to take the land, you have to first know who owns it. And in places uh, where there are more um, homeowners like Star County, you have a a land um, record system that dates back to the Spanish land grants from the uh, the 18th century. So I know the... uh, the Army Corps of Engineers has had trouble in some cases even asserting who owns land in the first place. And we would argue that it is, um, it is legally inadequate to try to take a piece of land from somebody who may not even own it in the, um, in the sense that the government is, uh, is arguing. Have uh, has the community rallied around? Uh, I was I was struck by this story about the La Lomita Chapel, the 150 yeah. year old mm-hmm. uh, chapel, uh, and and looking at the the layout of the land there. I mean, it seems to me that they would have to basically cut this historic site off entirely from the river if not desecrate the the chapel itself in some fashion is that a rallying point for the uh for the community there or is, or is that just an interesting uh historic tidbit that uh some of the in the media have noticed yeah no i i really think it is a rallying point for the entire rio grande valley and it's hard to underestimate the extent of how much something like la lomita um is embedded in the fabric of the of the valley's culture i've been out to to la lomita and it is one of the the oldest religious structures still standing in in the entire region, um, which is pre uh, predominantly and uh, uh, disproportionately Catholic, and it just highlights the fact that if a wall is going to be built, it can't actually be built on the banks of the river itself. So then there's this entire no man's land that's created um, in snaring places like like La Lomita, and La Lomita was one of the original. Catholic missions of the Rio Grande Valley. Right next to McAllen, directly to the west, is um, the city of Mission, Texas. That city is about half the size of McAllen. It forms part of the greater um, McAllen metro. And the city of Mission was named for La Lomita Chapel. And um, the city seal features the image of the church um, on expressways in the Rio Grande Valley, um, driving from town to town. I've seen the symbol of Lalomita emblazoned on parts of the uh, the, the highway that, that run through Mission, Texas, and I think it's it's a part of the it's a part of the community and a part of the religious identity that it really 
um, can cannot be underestimated. Well, don't worry. They'll just uh, we'll just put some uh, beautiful steel slats on the uh, on <laughs> the course. seal uh, right. for the city of Mission. Ricky Garza, um, <laughs> before I let you go here, uh, who is funding this effort on behalf of? Uh, these landowners. This is a big project you've got, and it is set to get a whole lot bigger if uh, if Trump gets his five billion dollars. Uh, are you guys the uh, the the Texas uh, Civil Rights Project uh, picking up the cost for uh, for homeowners in this battle? So we're working with um, with uh, we're planning to work with pro bono partners, and um, the Texas Civil Rights Project is supported by a, a mix of um, grants and individual donations. We're always looking for. Um, for more support uh, at our website, TexasCivilRightsProject.org, but we um, are enlisting the help of um, of anyone we of anyone we can and pro bono partners and um, other legal organizations to uh, to to take this fight to to the government because we um, know that landowners do have do have rights and do have their due process owed under the Constitution, and we um, don't want to see the the, the government take. Take our land in in the sacred spaces of the Rio Grande Valley without without a fight. So we're going to be here uh, as as long as we have to, doing just that. Ricky Garza, I'm uh, very happy you guys are there. I have been happy uh, as I know the Texas Civil Rights Project has fought for voting rights down there in Texas. You guys were sort of first on the scene when uh, the the family separation crisis yes. under mm-hmm. Donald Trump uh, came about. Uh, so thank you mm-hmm. all for the work that you're doing there. Uh, Ricky Garza is staff attorney uh, in the Rio Grande Valley for Texas Civil Rights Project, which, as he says, you can find and support, donate to at TexasCivilRightsProject.org. Ricky Garza, greatly appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Thank Keep you. up the good work. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Brad's interview with Ricky Garza, staff attorney for the Texas Civil Rights Project in the Rio Grande Valley. Coming up next, Mariana Trevino-Wright, the executive director of the National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas. And we have an interesting and potentially positive update right after. I'm Bradcast producer Desi Doyen, and this is the best of the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. You're listening to the best of the Bradcast.
kidding. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Monday night, Donald Trump appeared at a campaign rally in El Paso, Texas, to lie about and further his demand for a border wall on the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas. I am very, very thrilled to be here in the great state of Texas. Right on the banks of the legendary Rio Grande, where, by the way, I don't know, you heard, right? Today, we started a big, beautiful wall right on the Rio Grande. back on the Rio Grande. That was Donald Trump on Monday telling supporters that wall construction, big, beautiful wall construction, had begun in Texas. In fact, he told them it was almost finished, asking them to change, change their chant from build that wall to finish the wall. Many Democrats have made light of Trump's claims that he is already building his wall, but in fact... Last year, Congress allocated funds for 33 miles of new border barriers in the area. And as we've been reporting on this program, many folks who live in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas have been alarmed by notification from the federal government that, yes, preparations are, in fact, underway to build Trump's wall. On Monday this week, the nonprofit National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas, asked a federal judge to stop border wall activity on its property, on its private property, as the Trump administration gears up to begin construction in South Texas and may soon win funding for even more. In a motion filed this week, Center Director Mariana Trevino Wright says heavy machinery has been driving through their property for the past week, including a road grader, Accompanied by a U.S. Customs and Border Protection vehicle, Wright alleged that someone had cut the lock on a gate at the center and replaced it with a lock belonging to CBP. CBP has announced it will start this month on the first of 33 miles of new walls and fences in South Texas's Rio Grande Valley. Congress funded this particular construction last year. Yes, Democrats and Republicans alike already agreed to 33 miles of new fencing and or walls, whatever you want to call it, last year. And it's about to take place on the private property of landowners along the banks of the Rio Grande, including on the private property of many who have lived on the banks of the river for generations, as well as the property of the Lalomita Mission, uh, which the town of Mission is named for. That's a 150-year-old historic site that still operates as a chapel run by the local Catholic diocese which opposes the construction of the border wall as immoral, counter to church teachings, and a violation of religious freedom, which the Trump administration has long pretended to support, at least when convenient to their political agenda. We recently discussed some of the local opposition in the Rio Grande Valley to the wall's construction on the broadcast with Ricky Garza of the Texas Civil Rights Project, that's a nonprofit foundation which is helping landowners in the uh, in the area understand their rights as the federal government has notified residents of plans to survey property and begin the process of eminent domain 
to confiscate land in order to build Donald Trump's border wall. Towards that end, the bulldozers are now moving in to places like the National Butterfly Center, which also opposes construction of what its director describes as a racist wall on their 100-acre property, which serves as a wildlife center, sanctuary, and native species botanical garden, supporting many species of butterflies and other wildlife on the Rio Grande. But as Trump has been out lying about what a border wall would or wouldn't mean for those who live on the U.S. southern border, where he says there is an ongoing humanitarian and violent criminal crisis that can only be solved with a wall and or a presidential declaration of a national emergency in order to build one, heavy construction equipment has already begun to appear as of last week in the Valley, the southernmost region of Texas amidst strong opposition from many residents. U.S. Customs and Border Control has said it will start wall construction on federally owned land first, likely on property that's part of the lower Rio Grande Valley National Wildlife Refuge, before it would then most likely cut through the Butterfly Center, a state park, and the century-old La Lomita Mission Chapel on the bank of the river that forms the Texas-Mexico border. The Butterfly Center and its governing body, the North American Butterfly Association, asked in their federal court motion to ban government agents from, quote, taking any action on center property in furtherance of the construction of a border wall. National Butterfly Center Director Mariana Trevino Wright said in a recent statement announcing the latest motion in their lawsuit, quote, we will not stand idly by as the bulldozers roll in. Not standing idly by and joining us now is Mariana Trevino Wright, director of the National Butterfly Center. Mariana, thank you so much for joining us today on the broadcast. Thank you, Brad, for calling. I, uh, I want to talk about, uh, frankly, the importance of the National Butterfly Center, what you guys do, uh, why this wall or fence or whatever we want to call it uh, is opposed by the center. But I want to confirm uh, a point in that AP story. The Texas Observer notes it as well uh, from your recently filed complaint. The, the Customs and Border Patrol actually broke through your property essentially to cut one of the locks on your gate and replaced it with one of their own did do i understand that correctly did that really happen yes and actually it's something that happens fairly regularly that we come to work and our gates are off the hinges or our locks been cut off and the property is secured by border patrol and so we put up cameras. Uh, initially, we put out cameras to document the wildlife, the two, the four-legged creatures that were on the property, <laughs> right. and instead started getting interesting video of two-legged creatures, Border Patrol agents especially, um, you know, uh, uh, taking uh, liberties on our land. And and this, and that... Uh, it it's kind of blows me away, to be frank, but uh, this uh, one of these new locks, as I understand it, kept you actually from accessing your own property on your own uh, National Butterfly Center? It keeps us out for 15 or 20 minutes, and then someone on my staff retrieves the bolt cutters after they've obtained permission for me to go and cut Border Patrol's lock off the gate. Had, had, and I think, what, I think what most people in America do not understand is that 
by virtue of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952, Border Patrol has the authority for warrantless entry to all private property within 25 miles of any U.S. border. And it's supposed to be for the purpose of patrol, mm -hmm. which they do on our property, but they also have planted motion sensors and installed video cameras and the dirt box audio surveillance, and they've put a raid tower next to us, and they, they drag tires around to, you know, be able to detect footprints after the fact. Uh, so there's a whole lot that goes on down here, uh, that, that the rest of America is not aware of. Mm -hmm. We do not enjoy the same full rights and protections under the Constitution that the rest of America does. And, you know, largely that is at the hands of Border Patrol. The, it's it's amazing to me. Are are you arguing that the uh, the 1957 uh, Immigration Act, uh, while it would allow them to come in and onto your property, it does not allow them to do things like cut your locks and and actually damage your property? Correct. And those are some of the things in our lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And our lawsuit was filed in December of 2017. Mm -hmm as the result of the government's actions on our property in July of 2017, more than nine months before a congressional vote mm. or any funding appropriation for border wall. But on July 20th of 2017, I encountered contractors sent by the government on our property, and they were cutting down trees mowing down brush and widening a road on our private property in preparation for the border wall before the uh, the uh, the government before Congress had even approved those uh, 33 miles that we were originally talking about correct nine months before the March consolidated Appropriations Act was passed in 2018. Setting aside for a moment the constitutional issues here, uh, you you had initially filed that suit, as you said, back in 2017. You uh, talked about the violations of the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. Uh, but then there's also the National Environmental Policy Act and the Endangered Species Act, uh, which the National Butterfly Center is arguing is being violated here. Uh, since then, I understand the uh, Department of Homeland Security has uh, just simply waived environmental statutes? Ha have they performed any actual environmental impact studies before doing so? Or are they simply allowed to, to waive those as well if they wish? And uh, under what legal authority are they able to do that, if so? Well, they have not performed any of those uh, surveys in any meaningful way. They have waived 28 laws, including the Solid Waste Disposal Act, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, and the Native American Religious Freedom Act. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. a president who, who touts religious freedom and then has the administration waive religious freedom protections for a group of Americans a group of na our Native Americans mm -hmm. for this project. So the government is now not obligated to abide by any of these laws, 28 of them, 
as they no longer exist for our protection in Hidalgo County, Texas. As I understand it, the uh, the National Butterfly Center has been located there for uh, for 17 years, not quite as long as the 150 or so years that the uh, La Lomita Mission has uh, has been there. But how would the uh, the government's plans to to build a wall, I guess, between your building and and the river itself? How would that affect the actual mission, if you will, of of your center? Well. We are a habitat restoration project in an area of North America that is the most biologically diverse. We have 11 biologically distinct ecosystems here, each with unique flora and fauna. We're a small part of that. But the building of the border wall requires that the government come in and seize five acres of land from us for the wall and their enforcement zone. So that's taking five acres just on our little piece of property, never mind the whole rest of the conservation corridor, which they are building wall through. Mm. It eliminates that habitat. And butterflies, just as one example, are intimately tied to plant species. Each butterfly species has one or two plants that they depend on for their caterpillars to consume and complete their life cycle. If you eliminate that plant from the landscape, you eliminate the butterfly. And in addition to eliminating habitat, they're planning to put in Blitzkrieg all-night bright lighting. Yes. Every 150 feet on the wall, that will disrupt life, life, wildlife as well as the plant life cycles. Mm-hmm. And that will lead to greater environmental damage. And they're building the wall not on the U.S. border here. They're building it over two miles inland in some places, which means that... So what we're getting here is an 18-foot vertical concrete slab with 18-foot tall steel bollards on top. We're getting a 36-foot tall steel and concrete wall that is going to cleave up to two miles of America off and put it in this no-man's land. And we are not a valley in the geographical sense. We are an alluvial delta. Mm -hmm. So all of the land now between the river and the wall, where wildlife is now relegated and trapped, all of that wildlife is now sentenced to death. All of the terrestrial wildlife is sentenced to death when the Rio Grande River floods next. Because there's no place to go in the event of a flood, because now it's all held in by this uh, by this concrete wall? Correct. That's disturbing. Uh, you know, and, and I when I had initially heard about this story, because uh, we... we we, we cover these issues on our uh, on our Green News report, uh, and my partner Desi Doyen had talked about uh, the National Butterfly Refuge down in Texas that was going to be in trouble. Of course, the first thing that I thought of was, well, 
uh, you know, butterflies, they can just fly over the wall. They won't be affected. But in fact, that's not actually the case when it comes to, uh, obviously, the effect on their habitat. And as you note at your uh, uh, website, nationalbutterflycenter.org, this will affect other species. For example, the, am I saying this right, the ferruginous pygmy owl, ferruginous? Ferruginous. Ferruginous. Pygmy owl. Okay. And, you know, there are other birds like Uh wild turkeys and... Um, parakis, which are part of the nightjar family, other birds that are ground nesters and low flyers, uh, you know, and there are butterflies that are that way too. The the South Texas satyr is a woodland butterfly mm-hmm. and lives in the woods and woodland edges. It's colored, you know, brown. It looks like leaf litter, like debris, and it has this flight pattern that is low and skipping along the ground because that's where it finds its host plant, and that's where it finds its camouflage. So when they clear all of the habitat for Border Patrol's enforcement zone and all-weather road Mm -hmm. that's going to go in south of the border wall, they're eliminating woodlands. And therefore, there will be no woodland edge. And this butterfly that, that relies on that habitat and has this low, you know, programmed flight pattern mm-hmm. is never going to go 18 foot up in the air to get over this concrete embankment mm-hmm. and then fit through the steel slats on the artistically designed <laughs> prison yard looking wall. Uh, it's it's going to be beautiful, Mariana, if you haven't heard. It's a beautiful, beautiful wall. Uh, oh. But the uh, ferruginous if I'm saying it right, pygmy owl may not like it. Uh, it that uh, it's native to the area. It only flies about six feet into the air. So uh, good luck getting over that beautiful artistic yep. wall. Uh, and this all comes, uh, Mariana, at a, at a time when I understand many species of, of butterflies, such as monarchs, are facing a crisis in no small part related to global warming and the use of pesticides. I mean, this seems like a very bad time to um, essentially bulldoze the National Butterfly Center. You would think, as well as the Lower Rio Grande Valley Wildlife Conservation Corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, we are one section of that corridor. It is named for the North American Butterfly Association. It contains not only our property, but Benson Rio Grande Valley State Park and two federal refuge tracks and the heavy equipment is already desiccating the habitat on those national wildlife refuge tracks as we speak they started rolling the heavy equipment in the night of the super bowl Mm. when they thought nobody would notice Mm. Uh, so mariana is there is there a crisis, as Trump likes to call it, uh, or, or a national emergency, as he may declare in the area, as you see it, that needs to be dealt with at least by some sort of barrier of, uh, of some type? How, how are you and the community in general responding to, to all of this you know, national attention and these claims by national politicians and cable news talking heads that apparently, I understand, Mariana, your area is a drug-infested, violence-ridden, uh, center of human trafficking and rape that is somehow destroying the country. Uh, is that true? 
It is not true. And if it were, my husband and I and our six children would not live here, and I would not report to work every day on the banks of the Rio Grande River. I think one thing people should understand is that by the government's own admission, most of all that traffic occurs through legal ports of entry. And our former county sheriff, Lupe Trevino, who was just released from federal prison, was one of the biggest aides to those human and drug traffickers. Mm. His son, Jonathan Trevino, is still in federal prison because law enforcement, unfortunately, is often complicit in Mm. aiding and abetting all of that trafficking. There's a phrase that I've known my entire life called plata o plomo, and that means silver or lead. So the drug traffickers, the human traffickers, the bad hombres, they have no reason to try to ferry people across the Rio Grande River and contend with alligators when they can blackmail or bribe Mm. agents at the bridge or at the gate of the new border wall Mm. or on our highways and checkpoints and use our own law enforcement and others to get all of this into the country. There's another aspect to this, Mariana, that uh, bothers the hell out of me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember when uh, Republicans and Fox News and guys like Sean Hannity, all of whom are now demanding this wall, I can remember when those same folks were infuriated by the idea of eminent domain, at least when there was a Democrat in the White House. Has the federal government now begun officially eminent domain proceedings uh, that, that, that I believe would be required in order to build an actual wall on privately owned property like the, uh, like the Butterfly Center? Yes, they have begun them. Last Monday, we met with the government's appraisers for uh, that very discussion. Mm. Uh, and some of our neighbors have already received the ironically named offer to sell letter from the Justice Department. Uh, meaning they have the uh, there's an offer to sell their property, and if they don't, then they'll just simply be removed, essentially? Correct. And they will seize the land prior to the adjudication of any issues by virtue of a Depression-era law called Quick Take. Do you expect that you will also get a uh, similar offer to sell, as it's described? Um, Absolutely. Um, Unless there is some sort of stay of uh, execution or some clawback in this uh, upcoming um, appropriations bill, we fully expect that we will receive a written letter from the Justice Department with a dollar figure. I fully expect that the NABA Board of Directors will reject that. And then uh, the Department of Justice will take us to court within a matter of uh, days or weeks, and uh, the federal judge will simply hand our land over to them. I understand that there were, uh, at least last week, I don't know if this is still ongoing, but that there were uh, protests uh, by Native American groups, First Nations groups down there. Uh, Is that protest continuing? Do you expect it to continue? Uh, it, will this come down to a matter of uh, physically preventing uh, this heavy machinery in the federal government from taking your property and the property of the butterflies who live there? 
we are preparing for that. We hope it doesn't come to it, but um, we have met with law enforcement officials in the city of Mission. We have met with uh, environmental groups that are willing to come and make a stand, as well as those First Nations, as you mentioned. We have sought legal advice and representation from the ACLU in the event that we do have, um, you know, peaceful protests or, or worse. You know, when President Trump visited here a few weeks ago, the people who don't want a wall and object to the lies that are being told about our community marched in demonstration. But the people who want the wall and support the president's agenda also showed up. And so conflict or property damage or terrorist acts by those who support this agenda are actually what we're more concerned about. Mm. Uh, Mariana, before I let you go, uh, what can we expect uh, immediately, I guess, next in this fight? And more importantly, is there any way that listeners uh, can can support your efforts down there? I'll point folks, of course, to NationalButterflyCenter.org and to your Twitter feed, which is Nat Butterflies. Uh, but, uh, but but what can listeners do in, in support of your efforts down there, both for the butterflies and uh, opposing this wall? Well, for us, for our legal expenses and all of the action that we may be undertaking, we do have a GoFundMe uh, campaign, and it is simply titled Protect the National Butterfly Center. And if you choose to donate there or to contribute by joining the National Butterfly Center, you get a whole bunch of benefits, such as a reciprocal admission to about 400 other botanical gardens and zoos across the United States. We need support. We need people sharing our story. We need people calling their uh, U.S. representatives and their senators, especially as we face another government shutdown, this budget battle, and the prospect of the president declaring a state of emergency to build this abomination. Mariana Trevino-Wright is the executive director of the National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley at the border with Mexico. The National Butterfly Center is a project of the North American Butterfly Association, a nonprofit dedicated to the conservation and study of wild butterflies now caught in the middle of uh, Donald Trump's and this nation's uh, mess on the southern border. Mariana, really appreciate you joining us today. Please stay in touch as this moves forward. Uh, we'd like to uh, join you in, in helping to get that story out. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you. That was Brad's conversation with Mariana Trevino-Wright, the executive director of the National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas. Just days after we spoke with her, some potentially good news. Congressional Democrats and Republicans agreed to a compromise deal to avoid a government shutdown, and that included a carve-out to protect the center, the La Lomita Chapel, a state park, and a handful of other wildlife refuges. But then on Friday, President Trump declared a national emergency in order to get funding for his border wall anyway, 
and it's now unclear what that means legally for both the compromise deal and for those carve-outs. In an emailed statement, Director Trevino Wright told the broadcast, quote, Apparently the administration does not believe funds taken from the Department of Defense and other places for the state of emergency carry the same restrictions as those appropriated by Congress. For this reason, we expect wall. In fact, we expect the equipment already at work near us will just roll right over and through us. She went on to say, also, the carve-out in the 2019 bill is a one-time thing. It means six months from now, we're back on the chopping block when Congress begins negotiating for 2020 appropriations. So we have not been spared. We were given a temporary stay of execution, end quote. We'll continue to follow this story, and we'll keep you updated on what happens next. That's it for today's Best of the Bradcast. Thanks to our guests today, Ricky Garza of the Texas Civil Rights Project and Mariana Trevino-Wright, Executive Director of the National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas. And, of course, to you for spending a part of your day or night with us. If you missed any part of today's show or any other, you can download every episode of the Bradcast for free at Bradblog. Find, follow, and please share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. And please tell us what you think by emailing us at bradcast at bradblog.com. And as ever, our thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And yes, it is much appreciated. We'll be back tomorrow with an all new edition of the Bradcast. Until then, I'm Bradcast producer Desi Doyen. Good luck, world.